Let us pray for illumination. O oh God, you spoke your word and created your good news in Jesus Christ. Fill all creation with that word again so that by proclaiming your joyful promises to all nations and singing of your glorious hope to all peoples, we may become one living body, your presence incarnate here now. Our Old Testament lesson or reading is from Leviticus, the 19th chapter, the first couple of verses, and then we'll skip down to the ninth. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am the Lord, I, the Lord your God, am holy. Then dropping down to the ninth verse. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. And you shall not lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not keep yourself for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great with justice. You shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall not reprove your neighbor, or, if you, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Then turning to our gospel lesson in the fifth chapter of Matthew, starting at verse 38. Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you or take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and Pray for those who persecute you. 
so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, here we are at the fourth Sunday in February, concluding our month we've spent in Matthew's account of a good section of the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus had proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is near. We have been looking how the Sermon on the Mount describes how very different God's kingdom is from the world that before Jesus had proclaimed the good news of the gospel. In the Beatitudes, you remember Jesus blessed people that the world did not and does not see as blessed. Then Jesus pronounced us, his disciples, salt of the earth, light of the world. Jesus had not come to abolish the law, he told us, but to fulfill it, but also to reinterpret the law. And last week we looked at three examples of Jesus reinterpreting Old Testament law. In the passage we read today, Jesus reinterprets more of those laws. So let us consider eyes, teeth, and perfection. The 21st chapter of Exodus contains a whole lot of rules, but the part people remember and often affirm their belief in is from a sentence that starts at the 23rd verse. If any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Well, actually, they just quote the tooth for tooth and eye for eye part, right? The 24th chapter of Leviticus says, Anyone who maims another shall suffer the same injury in return. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The injury inflicted is the injury to be suffered. And when describing what to do with false witnesses, in Deuteronomy 19 we read, if the witness is a false witness, having testified falsely against another, then you shall do to the false witness just as the false witness had meant to do to the other. And so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Show no pity. Life for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. 
regardless of their religion or lack of it. That's what a whole lot of people will agree with in the Old Testament, the right to retaliate. There are lots of legal concepts that have Latin names, and this one in Roman law is called lex talionis. In fact, the word retaliate comes from that Latin word talionis. Now, there was a Babylonian king, he's mentioned by a different name in Genesis, but about 1700s BC or something, way back, Hammurabi. He was famous for his code of laws. Chief among them was the concept let the punishment fit the crime. Lex Talionis fit with that idea because it said that the retribution should mirror the offense. The problem is that people interpret that to mean you hit me, it's okay for me to hit you back the same way. What they don't realize is that law of Moses was actually a restriction or moderation of the right to retaliate. Before that eye for an eye principle, retaliation would be not in proportion to the offense, but in, in proportion to your anger. For example, if you hurt my child and I were rich and powerful, I might go back and be able to not only hurt your child, but kill you and your, your various wives and your servants and their children and your animals and burn your house down and sow your village with salt so that nothing could ever be gone there again. So saying an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, said, no, 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 you can't, just because you're that angry, you can't act. In that extreme, it has to be proportional to what was done. So it was a limitation or restriction. This was made to make the punishment more fitting to the crime. Well, that seems pretty fair, right? But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, not so fast. He says, don't think of justice as, I got a right to get them back. You see, as I saw some somebody's Facebook post just this week, <clears throat> Sonia, we are not to mirror what was done to us. We are not to be mirrors of the wrong. We're to think, you know, when something's been done evil to me, how can I respond with good? How can I be a blessing to all, even to folks who have done me wrong? And then Jesus gives us four challenging examples of doing that. Turn, and there's such famous ones, a couple of them are just part of our language these days. Turning the other cheek. The concept of if they sue you for your coat, give them your cloak also. If you're forced to walk a mile, go the second mile. And fourth, Give to beggars and loan to everybody. Then it gets really hard. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And it's not just enough to love your friends and your family, though even that can be kind of hard sometimes now, can it? 
An Old Testament rule in Leviticus, that passage we read this morning says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in that parable of Good Samaritan, Jesus taught us that all of God's children are neighbors. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that we are to love and pray for those, even the people we label as enemies, even to those who persecute us. Now, if you have a really great memory or if you've been reading ahead, you know that it went, goes from getting, that part of the sermon goes from getting really hard to getting impossible. Because in the 48th verse, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect? Really? Are you kidding me? Perfect? Well, this is a case where it helps to know a little Greek. If you go back to the Greek text, in that part of the Gospel of Matthew that, that it was written in, the Greek word used there is teleos, T-E-L-I-O-S, teleos. Tele means distance. That's where we get to see something at a distance as a television. To talk at a distance, we use a telephone and president has to use a teleprompter. Anything involving distance is tele. Well, teleos means brought to completion, fully accomplished, fully developed. So Jesus is telling us, move toward completion. Reach the goals God intended for us. Be all that God intended, divinely ordained you and me to be. And the truth is, every one of us is still a work in progress, aren't we? A recent Time magazine, I just happen to have it here, a recent Time magazine cover and, and a TV interview with Char Charlie Rose, you know, from Henderson, North Carolina's own, focused on a brand new kind of computer called quantum computer. Now the computers in our desktops and laptops and tablets and phones and cars and all kinds of other devices, all of them work on bits. Each bit represents a one or a zero. That's not too hard to understand, binary, right? There's either a charge or there's not. Ones and zeros. Well, clumps of bits make bytes, and bunches of those make kilobyte, and bunches of those make megabytes, gigabytes, tetrabytes, and they've got other names for even bigger ones. Those groups of bits, little ones and zeros, they can represent letters or pixels on a screen, on your TV or whatever. They can be sounds on your CD or MP3 player. And computer languages tell computers what to do with all those zillions of ones and zeros. And that, what, that's the magic that makes stuff work from that musical greeting card you sent someone special to your calculator to the huge computers that the governments and big businesses like Facebook and IBM and others use. And all those keep up with zillions and zillions of ones and zeros. They manipulate them very fast. 
Well, that's remarkable, but at least that business of ones and zeros, I can kind of get that, can't you? But this new computer is it's a whole different thing. The only models available so far cost $10 million a piece. And to operate, they require a temperature that's colder than we had in the last month. 459 degrees below zero. It's as close as you can get to absolute zero. It's colder than my refrigerator. Well, the new computer uses, it uses like the old one, it uses zeros and ones too, but it operates with something different called quantum bits, or I come up with a new word, qubits. They think that qubits can exist as ones or zeros or both at the same time. The theory is that quantum computers can handle a whole lot more operations per second. And so they can solve very complex problems much faster than before. Everything figuring out uh, drug simulations to figure out which drugs will work or solving encryption problems to and codes and all kinds of other things very fast. The number of operations per second they could do, those numbers get so big that very quickly they get to numbers that are that are so big they're bigger than the number of atoms in the whole universe. Now, I don't know how they counted up all those for that matter, but that's big. I can kind of get that, but what I can't understand is how something can be one and zero at the same time. How can it do both? That's all logical systems say you can't have a contradiction like that. You can't have it be yes and no at the same time. Now, sometimes in family discussions it can be that way, but not in a logical system, right? <laughs> it's a concept that's exciting, but I have to tell you, I got halfway through that article and I said, I have to stop reading. I've got a headache. <laughs> it just hurts my brain to try to think about that. That's how different it is. And that's exactly how radically different Jesus' preaching in the Sermon on the Mount was for the folks who heard him then and for us now if we pay attention. You see, Jesus' disciples, then and now, we thought we pretty much knew what those Old Testament laws meant. But Jesus had a whole new way for us to look at the law a way that would lead to a new kind of community, one that embodies God's empire. Jesus interprets the law with a quantum leap difference. In the verses we read from Matthew last week and today, Jesus tells the disciples, you have heard, but I say. He tells us that under the law in God's kingdom, we're not to be asking, now what exactly can I do and not do? to stay within the law. But we're to focus more on the spirit of the law. We're to look at not just do what's human nature, but we're to live life to reflect God's love, even to enemies, by not responding in kind, by, but by turning the other cheek, going the second mile. 
And it's not just you and me individually that are supposed to do that, but the whole community that's supposed to be different. So what would it look like for our community in this area, the state, our nation, our world, to be a place where the other cheek was turned or for our whole community to go the second mile? Remember how last week I said that at the heart of the word religion is the, is the root word ligio, which means connection. The same thing we get the word ligament for that strong connective tissue that connects our bones. Religion is about that strong connection too. The connection we have to God and to each other. Being a disciple is not a checklist. It's not an accounting system. It's a relationship. And for us to have that connection with God and with each other that God intended, we're told in Leviticus, you are to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes how very different we need to be from what we have been in order to relate, to be connected to God and to each other in God's kingdom. We will get there to God's kingdom, not because we're so good and we're getting better, not because of our good works, because of God's abundant grace. Thanks be to God. Love the Lord. Choose the good and hold fast to God so that you may flourish. So now may the wisdom of God, the love of Christ, and the peace of the Spirit shine brightly in your life. This day and always.